You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. Is a segment that has been designed by Ibrahim Fadakia and you know him being in the travel industry for so many years. So he gives us a choice grade information. You heard me, people, not standard grade, not lower than that, and the other grade, and not, not even talking about junk status. But you get the choice grade from Ibrahim Ba. Ibrahim Ba, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And jazakallah khair for joining us on your segment, uh, Travel Express, Ibrahim Ba. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Brother Shafat, always a pleasure to be here for you and, of course, our listeners to Radio Market Sahaba. I'm very much looking forward to the program this evening. No, definitely, uh, definitely, and I know Yusri there in the United Arab Emirates, so the Emiratis, he's listening to us this evening. And also we have uh, our brother Fazlu Bey in uh, Birmingham. And uh, there's one more uh, brother that told me he listens to us, and he's uh, from uh, Kenya. His name is Sheikh Bashir. So all of y'all uh, that are listening this evening, ahlan wa salam to you out of the country, alhamdulillah. Prima, you've been having uh, quite a hectic schedule. I mean, uh, you've been... Uh, having uh, important meetings uh, with uh, important role players and uh, some of the meetings you had uh, one that intrigued me was uh, that uh, there is uh, a group called that they uh, adopt a river and uh, they take care of the river and uh, you had a meeting with them talk to us about that meeting Ibrahim uh, yeah uh, brother Shafat uh, basically uh, we are active in the prospecting industrial area. You know very well because right at your doorstep, I take it. And uh, it's quite an extensive area. And being highly industrialized, you've got Toyota Motor Plant and all uh, the allied and supporting industries that feed into all the components for the manufacture of all the motor vehicles, especially the trucks, heavy equipment and things like that. Now, there's a network of canals there, as you know very well that you cannot base any industry, heavy industry, without a plentiful supply of water. And you know that there is a river network, A, on both sides of uh, Prospecton, one to the south going towards Athlone Park and one uh, coming in further inland and coming to the left-hand side and going right past uh, out the uh, estuary there by the Island Hotel. So. Uh, after the floods uh, of uh, April 21, the place is an absolute nightmare. And uh, it's not helped by the fact that uh, people see it as a place to dump all their refuse, whether it's chemical, otherwise uh, affluence, or even just uh, ordinary filth from the uh, informal traders that line the canals. And there's quite a network over there. And uh, Adopter River is an NGO. and. The thing is, the UIP company, which I head up, and together with all our people, uh, we're looking to act as a catalyst to bring more and more of uh, the caring and concerned uh, people that form these uh, NGOs, which are basically not-for-profit. We uh, try and steer away from the for-profit side of it because obviously there are other agendas that come into play. And uh, having said that, uh, we did arrange a meeting with the uh, owner of the Island Hotel, I think, uh, last week. And we discussed, uh, you know, how best we could uh, cooperate uh, to revive and, uh, you know, uh, breathe new life into that estuary. Because uh, not long ago, 
I think uh, also as a result of the floods, if I'm uh, you know not mistaken, one of those huge circular tankers that that store I don't know how many million liters of of uh, crude oil or even fuel, uh, it had ruptured because of those floods and all the water, the, all all the oil or the contents thereof ended up in that river. And of course, it devastated whatever lives with, uh, you know, marine or bird life that was there. And it was a sorry state. But uh, unfortunately, that was the uh, situation there. So he's been very concerned as well. So uh, someone put me in touch with him and I went together with the lady from uh, Adopt a River and another colleague from the Greater Together Foundation. And uh, it was a very, uh, how shall I say, fruitful meeting in the sense that we managed to share ideas. And there was also one more party that's from one of the major construction companies that has had previous uh, experience in environmental affairs. But uh, the main uh, thrust of the, uh, of the uh, project, first of all, is to try and clean up the canals and then look at how we're going to uh, you know, rejuvenate and restore the uh, estuary section and maybe get all the uh, plant and animal life uh, flourishing again. And uh, it's going to take some doing. It's not a small project, as you know, and uh, this is going to need a, a national government in intervention. And of course, uh, along with the industrialists and the industrial companies that are there, because it uh, it is right in their backyard, basically, and they would do well to support this initiative, a financially or otherwise materially, uh, to get this thing back to its pristine condition. And I'm not kidding myself that it's going to be overnight. It's going to be quite a few years in the doing. But the thing is, uh, the longest journey starts with the first step, they say. And uh, we went through a whole lot of uh, history insofar as uh, the engagement with the Department of Environment and Water Affairs, et cetera, et cetera, where promises, promises were made but uh, didn't materialize, unfortunately. And uh, we asked him to share all that information with us so we have a background and history that we can relate to and then, uh, you know, take up the cudgels again, at this time more uh, strongly, more aggressively, if you can put it that way, uh, because, uh, the government's on record of talking about, you know, greening this and greening that and the new Green Deal and all that other nonsense. But uh, I'd like to tell them to put their money where their mouth is in this instance and let's see if they are good for it. Uh, furthermore, I'm not sure if you're aware that uh, that uh, I think it's the Isipingo River for want of a better name. I'm not quite sure exactly what it's called now, but uh, that uh, the majority of that water was diverted to lead into the uh, Amlas Canal, the one that's on the northern side of the old airport, you will recall, uh, near the, uh, I think it's a Monday paper, mostly, if I'm not mistaken, on the yeah. other side. Yeah, yeah, and that's where uh, the majority of the water was diverted, you know, and this again is a question of man trying to play God and not leaving the natural thing the way God intended. And the net result is that what used to be a river mouth where you used to go swimming and fishing and every, everything else is no more because it's just uh, the the waves, the wave action has brought in a whole lot of sand, sea sand and closed off the estuary. 
Now, that is a major problem a, for the industry because uh, if there's any, uh, uh, you know, sustained rain over a few, a few days or so, then suddenly that water's got nowhere to go. And then the level of the canal start rising and you know how low lying that entire area is and it will result in flooding and they don't want that. So uh, between, uh, I think, uh, the guy at the Island Hotel and Toyota Management, they, uh, you know, take turns to open up that river mouth at the estuary, uh, you know, as once the uh, level reaches a critical height and so it can flow out again. But uh, my point is about the diversion and the hubris that was behind it is the fact that there is not enough water that is flowing there, and that is why that river mouth is closing up all the time. So uh, whilst that is, in my opinion, uh, a function of the municipality or the local government in that sense, uh, they are not doing it on any regular basis, more like a knee-jerk reaction when it's needed. And uh, this is what we are trying to achieve now, is to try to rehabilitate that entire canal network, as well as that estuary. It's a beautiful place, I must say. I, I had a look around the entire property, and uh, I'm sure that uh, if we can get this done in, you know, in the forthcoming years, then at least it'll, it'll bring back, uh, you know, that pristine beauty that used to be there, as well as the flora and fauna can start flourishing. And the fishermen can come back. I know a lot of them used to do that for a livelihood. And of course, I believe there were a few diving companies that used to operate there from what I'm told. So that's the crux of the matter. And uh, yeah, it's a big project. But uh, like I said, there's lots of people that are keen on lending a hand to uh, sort of uh, restore the area. So I'm uh, being a bit optimistic. Uh, and I hope that uh, we can find some common ground together with the government to get this thing off the road. You know, if I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, as you made the point, you know, then go green this and green that. No more worry about putting the green notes in the pocket. I mean, <laughs> or the red ones or the blue ones. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Ibrahim, on a more serious note, why, why, why the government can't do anything? It has to be individuals like yourself and, uh, you know, big business. Uh, besides paying their taxes and uh, besides the, the our officials that are given these de de uh, designation to check the canals out, to check the estuaries out, to check the, you know, the, the, the fauna and the flora. But these guys, are they don't even know their jobs. Where are they? They may be sitting and having uh, a KFC somewhere or doing, uh, but it is people like yourselves and, you know, NGOs that are coming to the fore and uh, saving uh, perhaps... Uh, uh, many of the infrastructure of the country. Uh, I mean, you look at the, where I'm living. I can't believe there's, there's a sewer problem in my in my road, just on opposite my garage. And the past eight months, Ibrahim Ba, they dig it up. I don't know what they do. After <laughs> three days, it's again, it's flowing. And it's flowing. And the stench, I think I'm getting a headache every day because of that. You know, they don't care because they don't have the expertise. I mean, they blame they don't have equipment. But uh, honestly, Ibrahim Ba, they don't have the expertise. Uh, your thoughts? Uh, perhaps I could say to a certain extent that's fair comment. But uh, being uh, somewhat on the inside, I can see things, uh, you know, from a different perspective as the ordinary guy that's a ratepayer that's on the street would. Uh, it comes back to the same old, same old again, uh, Brother Shepard, the cadre deployment where you are putting people who are not fit for purpose in the sense that uh, they are put into a position where Chances are they might know very little, if anything at all, about the job on hand. 
and uh, they would get uh, as part of the BEEEE plus uh, program, yeah, give uh, opportunities to uh, previously disadvantaged people, uh, contractors, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, provided they know what they are doing. But the net result is that uh, it shows at the end that uh, it's not working, okay? Hence, you're getting that thing, uh, the uh, problem that we face with perennially. Moreover, the thing is, uh, the levels of corruption in all uh, strata of government, a lot to do with society as well as uh, private sector as well, that, you know, it takes two to tango, like they say, and that has literally emptied the coffers, right? So there isn't that amount of funding available. If it is, it is always misappropriated. And I think uh, we'll be covering some of that later on in the travel, in in, in that uh, sponsorship for one billion then or so that was given to some wanting yeah. to be given. Yeah, so we'll talk about that later. But coming back to this, yes, either it's a question of a combination rather of uh, uh, incompetence, uh, a lack of really uh, caring or doing the job that you're getting paid for. And uh, I think ultimately this is where the problem is when you put uh, uh, people that are uh, apparently uh, incompetent or won't work to do the work, then this is where we are stuck. And all the money gets, uh, you know, to use that euphemism, uh, misappropriated to wherever else then all these infrastructure projects just stagnate and and it, and it suffers right and uh, they'll they'll come and they'll talk to you and make promises by the dozen but uh, they will not deliver on those promises unfortunately in most instances and this is what we found and that is why uh, it begs the question are we as uh, citizens concerned citizens as you know as human beings that live in the environment have lived there for i don't know how many years or decades, are we willing to let it go? I think the answer is a big fat no. So that is why we stay involved, even though we we are, you know, on the back foot at all times. The thing is, if we had support of government on a, either local, regional or national level, it would be a different matter. Here, it's as if you are almost trying to stop the incoming tide sometimes. And you know how impossible that can get. But nevertheless, we share a passion for restoring our country to, you know, uh, a level that we'd be uh, comfortable with because, of course, we are products of our environments. We knew the environment in which we grew up. It is uh, a far cry away from that. And the thing is, as far as possible, it's a question of what kind of legacy you are going to be leaving for the generations that come. That drives us. And I do know, and I can vouch for this fact, that there are a lot of good concerned individuals and NGOs and NPOs and, and, and people like that that are still out there, despite uh, the circumstances and the hurdles that are placed in the way of doing such things. Of course, finance is always, uh, you know, at a premium and it's uh, hard to get money these days. But uh, Nevertheless, it doesn't deter us. We keep uh, trying and, you know, they say where there's a will, there's a way. And of course, ultimately, Allah watches over us and see what, what, what we are trying to achieve, you know, insofar as restoring the natural beauty of the place. And the thing is, he makes things possible by sending people from amongst us uh, that we wouldn't even imagine to come in and help us. So uh, 
I'm not despondent, uh, far from it. In fact, uh, when the pressure's on, you know, you just get down there, knuckle down, and you get the work done. Yes, Ibrahim, I absolutely correct there. And, uh, you know, the uh, uh, saying, uh, the ayat in the Quran, Wallahu khayru razakeen, and I, Allah, I am the best of providers, and Wallahu alimun hakimun. Allah is all-knowing, all-wise, and uh, our yakin is in Allah, but uh, Alhamdulillah, we need to put the effort in. Uh, well, Ibrahim Ba, I'm looking at a Karoo kitchen, and they say uh, slow Italian cooking in the Karoo summer rain. Mm. I was thinking about how are those, uh, you know, Arabs having a whole camel in the Karoo rain. But anyway, talk to us about the Karoo kitchen. Yeah, yeah, the Karoo is a special place, actually. And for those of uh, us who have had the uh, occasion to drive a, either from here, Johannesburg to Cape Town, you have to go through the Karoo at some stage if you're going that way. And uh, I think the N1 goes right through it. And uh, quite a special place. Lots of uh, uh, arid places there and brush, you know, like hardy sort of stuff that you'd find in desert areas. And uh, lots of sheep farming, surprisingly, that goes on there, as well as some uh, or the other crops that they grow there. Now, generally, the Karoo, as anyone will know, is uh, very dry. And uh, they rely on summer rains. Now, for the past six years or so, there wasn't anything that resembled summer rains. And, uh, yeah, they were in a drought situation. And uh, they were overjoyed this summer when, in January, the rains came and plentiful of it. Now, for those who haven't uh, experienced uh, rain in the Karoo, you know, the, the, at the first, at the beginning of the uh, showers, the earth starts splattering with these muddy droplets and then the water turns to water vapor immediately because of the heat in the, in the ground. And that uh, creates a visible mist and that just hovers above the ground for as far as the eye can see. But that's since it, it, it evaporates very quickly as well because the water then starts to accumulate and seep into the hot parched earth. And uh, if it rains for days on end, then all the dams fill up, the farmers and their workers sigh, uh, sigh of relief, you know, very happy. And then the, the majah starts, as they say, in the eating and drinking that follows. And that is vigorous as well as it, you know, it, it, it is something they look forward to. Now, in that uh, context, uh, Sundays are poiki days. Now, for those who don't know poiki, if you're South African, you'll know what I'm talking about. Basically, it's a it's a cast iron pot that has uh, three legs, and that uh, is uh, used to slow cook uh, food and over an open fire, open flame, and that's done most times out in the open. And uh, this poiki is basically a social activity. You know, when you say poiki, we've been talking about the pot, but the thing is, and more importantly, the contents of that pot. And it's normally, uh, you know, where you have your guests over, meaning your neighbors from neighboring farms or the family and uh, even uh, the workers and things like that. And you can sit by and, and engage in the fireside chit chat whilst the food cooks, because it normally takes a, uh, between three to six hours, Brother Shafar, to, to have a proper uh, meal cooked there. I know there, there are lots of favorites uh, for South Africa by way of stews and things, but uh, the, uh, the idea came, would you believe, from the Netherlands, the Dutch. They brought it to South Africa in the 17th century. And uh, there is another iteration, and why I'm referring to it, this is what is used 
when it rains and you cannot have the fire outside and the get together outside in the open felt. And uh, this is known as the Dutch oven. And uh, basically, again, it's just a thick walled uh, cast iron pot, imagine with a lid, of course, but no, no legs so that it can be used on stoves in ovens and over open fires as well. And uh, if you know the uh, French brand Le Creuset, that very expensive and beautiful range of cast iron stuff, uh, it's akin to that. And it serves the same uh, purpose as the poiki to slow cook, either soups, uh, stews, sauces, breads, and whatever else, especially when rain stops playing so far as the poiki field goes. And uh, the main trick to that is that you put in all the ingredients and let it just simmer for hours on end. Do not stir it because what the idea is, uh, Brother Shafar, is that all the ingredients must cook perfectly and they mustn't uh, have uh, a blend of one or the other. They must be distinct in, in that sense. And so much so that you experience different flavors and textures with each mouthful. And you should be able to easily or visually identify all the ingredients that went in, which is not often the case if you make a stew and it's all mixed up. And uh, together with the smoky flavor over the open uh, flame, uh, that uh, taste is something else. And it has to be experienced to uh, know the uniqueness of the style of cooking. Coming to the Italian uh, side of things, which is a very favorite uh, popular dish with the people in the Karoo as well, it's called uh, Ossobuco, and it is a classic Italian dish. It's favored by many, and it may it's made uh, out of cross-cut shanks of uh, shin steak. That means the lower end of the uh, the uh, legs of the either cow or uh, ve- uh, calf, which is veal. So you're eating either steak or veal. And this comes together with the uh, bro- bone, and of course the cross-section has a marrow in it. And of course, you add your vegetables, tomatoes, white wine or vinegar, depending on which side of the fence you're on. And uh, herbs that are garnished with the cremolata, which is basically a seasoning mixture made out of grated lemon zest. That's the skin or the peel of the uh, lemon that's grated and minced garlic and parsley. And uh, as a side dish, what is also very popular is uh, a creamy uh, item called polenta also Italian, and it's uh, basically cooked yellow cornmeal, meaning maize, that's uh, cooked in a seasoned broth and finished with butter and parmesan cheese. So that's a very popular dish there. So uh, that's the style they do it in when the summer rains come in the Karoo. Very graphic and uh, very detailed and uh, a very experienced answer. I mean, JazakAllah here for that. I relived the Karoo with you there. And also, well, here we're talking, Ibrahim Ba. Here's why three key South African tourism board members have resigned. And mass over, yes, the Hotspur deal. Was it a deal or wasn't a deal? I don't know what happened. But tell us, Ibrahim Ba. Uh, you know, they were looking into it. Uh, tourism, perhaps if we back this place, our name would have been appearing and the whole world will be seeing it. What happened there, Ibrahim Ba? Well, the thing is, uh, I think you and I have been discussing the uh, disappointing state of affairs insofar as the Tourism Board of South Africa goes. We've been talking about it locally with regard to KZN and Durban tourism and things like that. But uh, it seems the rot goes uh, even further onto a national level. 
And uh, none other than our Minister of Tourism, uh, uh, Madam Sisulu, Lindiwe Sisulu, right? Uh, it was discovered that uh, they were planning to sponsor Tottenham Hotspur, which is a Premier League club, club in, 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 in England, to the tune of almost one billion with a B, South African rands, over a three-year period. How that was going to impact positively on, on tourism remains debatable, because I don't care if you have uh, 50 or 60,000 spectators in the stadium, and all the billboards that surround the pitch, you know, from time to time would so show visit South Africa or flag or whatever they care to put, put on there. How that would convert to uh, an, uh, an upsurge in tourism, uh, I don't know, because uh, I've been to matches there as well, and uh, the rank and file supporter has got his beer in his hand most of the time and uh, whatever else he chooses to consume. And all they're interested is, is in their team winning, okay? And if you look at that uh, level of uh, individual, how likely is he going to be to travel to South Africa of all places, where A, firstly, the lights don't work, the water is being, uh, you know, interrupted regularly, the roads are falling apart, crime is going wild, and, and, and we could go on ad infinitum. So what's your value proposition you know, one would ask, yes, South Africa's got a lot of natural beauty, very diverse cultures, etc., etc. But really, are you going to be convinced to come here, given the fact that it is one of the uh, most dangerous places on earth right now? That's a big ask. <laughs> and now, suddenly, and I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek, I mean, the stats are out there. We are in the top 10 of the most dangerous places on earth. And don't don't just think it's one. There's Durban, there's Joburg, and there's uh, also Cape Town. So I think three out of ten, that's making us top of the pops there. All for the wrong reasons, of course. But uh, having said that, I think uh, somehow the word got out. And uh, questions were being asked by uh, prominent uh, print media and people like that, reporters that were, you know, investigating what was going on there. Of course, the usual nonsense, per, you know, it persists. They'll first deny all knowledge of that. Then they'll find some scapegoat that is, you know, down, lower down the food, food chain to blame that they were doing it without the knowledge of the head honcho, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, there were three uh, board members there. Uh, and I will name them because it's in public domain, uh, uh, Dumini, Nadesson, and, and Anderson, that didn't necessarily uh, share the opinion of the head insofar as going through with this deal. And uh, they resigned uh, in uh, in disgust, and they issued a statement saying that uh, they, of course, politely, diplomatically, of course, that there was a difference of opinion, and so on and so forth. But I believe... Uh, the CEO, if I'm correct in this, I'm not sure if it was the CEO, let me just uh, think about. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Kumalo is his name. He went on record and he said that, uh, oh, uh, as if he's talking to some children in, 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 in grade one or kindergarten or something, is that, oh, you must understand that uh, each, each department is different. We get a different budget, and yeah, so if we spend it for that to promote the country, it's not that we're doing anything wrong, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, 
the truth always out in the end. And uh, it was subsequently di uh, discovered that uh, the South African tourism's chief financial officer, a gentleman by the name of Van der Walt, misrepresented his ties with the agency. Now, this is uh, uh, belonging to the WWP group, right, that were going to be paying up front something like 1.5 million pounds or 31.3 million rands up front fee by March 2023 to, and I put this in italics, of course, so you can understand, to activate that sponsorship, okay? And of course, he said that he had nothing to do with this company. He didn't know them, but uh, uh, after a little bit of uh, uh, investigation, they discovered that, yes, he had definitely been uh, a on their board as a financial director. The emails prove that. So it was just another one of these uh, sordid affairs and corruption that, that can be read into all this, uh, Brother Shafat, because the people are starving in the country. They don't have no jobs. You think that maybe they'll think again and say, hey, hang on, maybe we should uh, allocate this funding more wisely. Hey, if we are going to bring people into the country for tourism sakes, or the government should think twice and, and see what kind of budget is, it's, it's allocating come uh, every financial year and how that budget is being used. Well, if they can go out and fork out in principle, one billion uh, rand, that's a lot of money in anyone's, uh, you know, uh, estimation. And uh, what do you get back for it? Now, uh, that hasn't stopped over there. Now, suddenly, I believe Manchester United is climbing on the bandwagon as well and uh, wanting to get a share of the action. And, uh, you know, they made presentations of sorts where I think uh, they were in the press, uh, some of these characters that are involved in tourism over there opening up the the uh, the pack from Manchester United offering uh, something like 1.1 billion followers and you know market this bullshit that sorry forget forgive me that but that's what goes on over there and uh, of course to the chagrin of the uh, South African public the taxpayers uh, this wasn't sitting well and I don't think it's going to go away any anytime soon unless and until they recant and of course they. <clears throat> decide to cancel the deal altogether. Whether there's any contract has been signed uh, or not uh, remains uh, to be seen because they are saying that they didn't sign any contract. And of course, our President Ramaphosa also weighed in and said that this is uh, not on. And, uh, you know, he, he expressed uh, disapproval, at least his office did, insofar as this deal went. So. Uh, the fact that uh, his office is opposed to deal, uh, I can't see that, uh, you know, coming to pass. So thank God for that, for whoever dug up on this or whoever blew the whistle and, uh, you know, exposed this. Uh, uh, I don't know what to call it anymore. You know, it could be uh, a ineptness or people getting carried away or uh, some sort of money changing hands inappropriately. But it is what it is, and uh, thank God uh, that that money is saved and put to better use. Yeah, there's yeah, a story there's a behind it, Ibrahim. I've uh, read that, but uh, you know, there's a guy that was working in tourism, mm. and you know, as soon as this deal was about to come through, he, uh, he resigned yeah. and he went yeah, back yeah, to yeah. his. Uh, yeah, I read all that, but anyway, Ibrahim, I tell you, when uh, the discussion is on with you. Time really flies. We've gone past our normal time of 30 minutes. We've gone to 31 minutes. And uh, perhaps your parting words uh, this evening? No, I don't believe that the time's gone so quickly, man. Some, something's wrong. <laughs> Maybe 
There's too much baraka. Okay, uh, this is to see, see in spring that we, we, we share the same, you know, feeling spiritually and otherwise. I'm going to give you very quickly 10 sicknesses of the heart, right? This is when you believe in the existence of Allah, but you do not fulfill his commands. Yeah, you say you love Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, but you do not follow his Sunnah. You read the Holy Quran, but you do not put it into practice. You enjoy all the benefits that Allah blesses you with, but you are not grateful to him. You acknowledge Shaitan as your enemy, but you go out and willingly do his bidding. You want to enter Jannah, but you do not want to strive for it. You do not want to go into hellfire, but you run towards it in everything you say and do. You believe that every living thing will face death, but you do not prepare for it. You gossip and find faults with others, but you forget your own faults and bad habits. And lastly, you bury your dead, but you do not take a lesson from it. So let me leave you with those thoughts. Yeah, I think it's very, very pertinent. Pertinent and very profound, Ibrahim Ba. You have a beautiful, lovely evening ahead. Inshallah, we'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Time for us uh, to tell you and bid you. Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you, Lucalo, for great engineering. Keep it locked on to Marcus Sahaba for beautiful programming. Inshallah.